Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special episode of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter, and we are so blessed, delighted, and gosh, all just all that good stuff to have our dear friend and co-worker in the vineyard, Peter Herbeck, with us tonight. We're going to get right into it. We were blessed, Peter, Bob Schutz, Patrick Rice, Father Matthias Thalen, Randy Clark, Clark, the past three days at the Encounter Conference, which took place the second year in a row here at the Seagate Center, 3,000 people. If somebody were to ask the question, Greg, what was happening there? I go right to Matthew 11. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And what you would have experienced at these three days was an atmosphere of the kingdom, that those things that maybe during our school years we took tests about, multiple choice exams, was lifted off the pages, and you had an encounter or an atmosphere with a living God present with his people, and a conviction among those who led it to say, you know, open your hearts and minds to seeing what God wants us to see, to hearing what God wants us to hearing, and operating, manifesting in the way that God has appointed and anointed us to be instruments of that grace right here and now. And um, I brought Peter here because he had really a stirring message for us, which at some point, maybe we'll get permission to re-air that, because I do know they recorded it. Um, But just a powerful exhortation for all of us to know our inheritance, to know who we are, and to walk and live and breathe and think and move within that inheritance. But what I love about you, Peter, also, and we're going to talk about this tonight, is you also gave, I think, great mature insight to the reality that, yes, we are destined for the kingdom, but it is not in its fullness here. And, you know, the great saints who spoke of the pathway to intimacy with God, which is the ultimate plan, intimacy with God, can be really summarized, the purgative, illuminative, and unitive stages. We are still going to be undergoing purgation, as St. John the Cross and others have noted, this is going to involve dark nights of the soul, dark nights of the senses, and as awesome as it was, and we need to open our hearts and minds all the more to be seeing that manifestation, yes, there's a character that God wants to forge in us all the more to be united with him in Gethsemane and to know he is in that. He is with us and he wants our love to be purified. So that's a little bit of the setting of what we really want to tap from Peter tonight uh, and just sharing with us his insights, having traveled around the world, seeing, you know, really the hearts of both the secular culture and the what we're up against and uh, just great wisdom and insight of how we need to be wired. And what is the Lord saying? I think Peter is truly prophetic in, in a message from the heart of the Father to us today in this moment in history, 2020, the year of vision, the year of walking by faith, not by sight, this decade, which we believe God has appointed and anointed. I want to hear and I want you to hear what Peter has to say to us about how we are to think and operate in God's light in this moment in history. So before we unveil all that, Peter, just from your heart, what was your experience over the last three days? What did you, what touched you and moved you? Yeah, I, I think clearly some of the things that you, as you described, that I experienced that as well. Uh, there was a, it was a cross-generational gathering, young people from little kids all the way to, you know, grandparents like me and beyond uh, who were there. Um, brothers and sisters from other denominations were there, which was, was wonderful. Mm. There weren't too many, but there were some represented there and speaking, so expression of ecumenism and um, I, I guess to me, one of the things I would say is it was a, a beautiful expression, incarnation of what the what the recent popes have called the grace of a new Pentecost, mm. um, what it looks like, uh, what it's meant to look like to go deeper into the mystery of Pentecost, 
and all the different dimensions of it and as it's been expressed and I've experienced it over the last, not just me personally, but those who've been involved, for example, touched by charismatic renewal or movements of mm-hmm. that kind, those kind of things have seen some of these elements, you know, tremendous, beautiful worship, tremendous joy, you know, expressed by brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. a real communion together, sacramentally and otherwise in our, our experience together in terms of fellowship, the ex- expression of uh, ecumenism, of Christian unity to the degree that we're capable of doing that, you know, and we're called to it and being seriously called to it by the Lord, especially at this time. I think there were signs and wonders, as you were Mm -hmm. saying, that were actually present. People got healed, including a bishop got healed. And he testified to it, you know. Um, So all these elements that were really part of uh, Pentecost, the original Pentecost, present, I think, uh, at the meeting over the last three days and uh, just four days, very grateful to the Lord for it, it was uh, it was very very inspiring, and I think everybody felt renewed at times. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a person who was there that didn't get touched at some mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Like really, what I mean by touched is they had they had a, an encounter of some kind with the Lord, meeting them exactly where they were at, mm. and giving to them something that they really needed. He's the he's the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. They know his voice. They, uh, he knows who they are. And he brought something for everybody, really, because people's one it was an atmosphere of faith, of, of, of real confidence in God, and really good mm-hmm. preaching and teaching and anticipation, beautiful, just beautiful celebration of the sacraments, right. um, as well. And that's an environment of faith. And with that environment of faith and hunger, Jesus said, "If you're hungry, thirsty, come to me. I'll I'll feed you. You know, quench your thirst. Mm-hmm. Knock on the door. I'll open the door." And I think that's what we saw. So it was beautiful. That's awesome. Peter, there were a good number there whom I knew four or five years ago whom we might describe as good soldier Catholics, solid, rosary praying, going to Mass, get the catechism, get that the Eucharist is the source and summit, you know, want their kids to be forged in truth and to live a good ethical life, but maybe a little suspicious about some of the language you're using, new Pentecost and, you know, the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and maybe, let's just be honest, to be really candid, many concerned that we maybe run the risk of worshiping emotions in the name of God or worshiping manifestations in the name of God. And many of those who are listening right now may say, you know, I'm good. You know, I really don't think that I need that in my marriage and family. And I'm just going to give a testimony and then turn it over to you that uh, I know a number of those folks who are in that place who took the risk mm-hmm. to come to something like this and recognized mm-hmm. that, as the analogy is often used, that the grace is poured out on the sacraments, but maybe not stirred up. There is a heart piece. And it's not just emotions. It, it is a heartful connection that we hear Christ speak about, God throughout history, that was stirred up and awakened in them that this relationship, this encounter thing is truly living. It's not, we don't need to be, and certainly Mother Teresa got it, uh, lived through darkness and difficulty in the last seven, eight years of her life or whatever. But there is a dimension of, a, of I don't know, explain it for me. I'm struggling with the words, but you know where I'm going. Give us some insight into that. One of the things I try to say in the talk, uh, if you remember, is I want to highlight what I can't remember. I heard it years ago, maybe from uh, one of the cardinals of the church reflecting on the grace of the Pentecost, is the church lives from two mysteries, her two great mysteries. Lots of mysteries present in the church, but her two great mysteries are Eucharist and the Pentecost. Hmm. And so what, is, what does that mean? I mean, the, you know, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, and what's expressed there is the communion of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the offer of the Son, receiving his identity from the Father, receiving his mission from the Father. And as Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 30, 31 in there, he said that uh, even though it, it was the last uh, 
what do they call it, the Last Supper dialogue, whatever it was, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus talking with the apostles is a particular way to describe it, but anyway, that's, that's minor. Um, and Jesus says to them, he's about to go to Calvary, they don't quite know it yet, they don't know what's going to happen, and Jesus said, I won't be with you much longer. Uh, and they kind of, he probably got their attention with that line, right? And uh, he said, because the devil's coming after me. Mm-hmm. And he said, but the devil has no hold on me. So Jesus said to them, what's about to come is in my hands. The devil's not in control. I'm in control. And he said, but I do whatever the Father commands me. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the most intimate line of just brotherhood and friendship where Jesus is revealing his heart to his, his closest uh, mm-hmm. collaborators, brothers, and fellowship. He said, uh, I do everything the Father commands me because I want the whole world to know that I love the Father. Mm-hmm. That's the first motive for Jesus going to Calvary. You know, mm. the second is our salvation. That's my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and who knows? It might be yeah, exactly the same. But what he is, is he's the faithful son. He's witnessing to everybody. This is the road. This is the way to human fulfillment, to absolute uh, freedom and ultimate reaching our ultimate destiny is to obey the Father out of love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength even to the point of death. So we celebrate that. We see that. And Jesus teaches us, informs us as a community of people as we gather on the Eucharist. And then we were able to be united to Jesus's offering to the Father of his life. And we offer our lives to the Father in right worship. So, you know, there's, there's volumes in what's happening in the Eucharist that we could speak about. Now, many, many people in the Catholic Church, um, especially, let's just talk about our priests, for example, they all get that part of it, mm. you know, and we're all going to penetrate that mystery uh, until he comes again or he takes us home. The depths mm. of that great mystery. Um, and it really is the center of our life as Catholics in so many ways. Now, on the other hand, the, uh, the mystery of Pentecost, we seem to have a different disposition toward it. Mm. I mean, Pentecost was a day when Jesus had ascended to the right hand of the Father, had passed through death. The new creation began in him. The new man was raised from the dead. Mm. The future of humanity in the body and person of Jesus, mm. Jesus takes it up into the glory of the Father, takes humanity to the glory of the Father, because he's one of us, because he's now what Paul calls a life-giving spirit. I mean, he's a, he's a body. He still has his body, and he takes us, a fallen race of people that had fallen from glory, he takes us into glory, and because he did that, and because... Uh, he, he united heaven and earth. He could pour out the Holy Spirit upon us. And so the church is born. I mean, the sacraments, everything flows from the outpouring of that initial grace on the day of Pentecost mm-hmm. that we get united to in baptism. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what happens in, what happened in Pentecost, we have to take that very, very seriously in terms of what God actually did. Mm-hmm. He gave us power. He said, I have come to baptize you uh, He's come to baptize us in the Holy Spirit, he said in Acts. John did a baptism of repentance, Jesus told us. He said, but I've come mm-hmm. to baptize you, to plunge you into the spirit that I live in, the reality that I live in and walked in, Beautiful. and the anointing that was on my life that broke the power of Satan. Mm-hmm. I disarmed him. I destroyed his kingdom, and I established my father's kingdom through through my preaching, through my teaching, through my ministry, through deliverance, through signs and wonders, and it all moved forward as the Father testified to my message through signs and wonders and the like. So these are these are things that are the 
the, the very heart of what Pentecost is. And for some reason, um, there's, there's so many caution lights or stop signs that have been put up even by some of our leaders that they don't either, they either don't want to or they don't know how to mm. penetrate the mystery of Pentecost the way they can freely and effectively and with joy penetrate and awe penetrate the mystery of the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what, I, what I saw there on the weekend was such a beautiful expression of both the great mysteries. Right. You know? And so my passion and my concern, I think, was at the heart of the message I was trying to communicate, was that, look, we are not going to meet the challenge of contemporary culture today without both those mysteries alive mm-hmm. and ever deepening in our lives, period. Amen. It won't happen. You know. And so I was just thinking of... Uh, some of the things that Pope Paul VI said, for example, I mean, John XXIII, Paul VI, Pope John Paul II, Bene- Pope Benedict, now uh, Pope Francis, they could not be more clear and open and expressive about the central reality and importance of this grace of a new Pentecost. It's not just a movement in the Church or something. This is, this is the heart of what it means to be Catholic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. These two great mysteries and living in these. And so here's Paul VI. He says... Um, More than once, we have asked ourselves what the greatest needs of the Church are. What is the primary and ultimate need of our beloved and holy Church? We must say it with holy fear, because as you know, this concerns the mystery of the Church, her very life. This need is the Spirit. The Church needs her eternal Pentecost. She needs fire in her heart words on her lips, and a glance that is prophetic. I mean, that captures these yeah. yeah. that I think yeah. is very timely. Absolutely. The fresh breath of the Spirit, too, has come to awaken latent energies within the Church mm. and to stir up dormant charisms and to infuse a sense of vitality and joy. Now, tell me, we don't need all of right. those things right now in right. Right. the church. Right. When we're on downsizing mode, when we're intimidation, we're intimidated, we're full of shame, we're, we've got a stigma that we're carrying and bearing, the priest in particular, that stigma's coming on them because mm-hmm. of the sins of the church and the rest of it, and they feel like we're trying everything and nothing's working. Well, because there really ultimately is only one thing that grows the church. It's the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's living in and obeying and walking in and being a conduit and an instrument of the Holy Spirit. So he goes on, he says, it is this sense of vitality and joy which makes the Church youthful and relevant in every age and prompts her to proclaim joyously the eternal message in each new epoch. And so um, this is a moment where many in the Church, many people baptized are walking away from the Church. Why? Because they think it's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Or they're mad, or they're frustrated, you know. Or uh, many, I've ministered to many priests. This is a time where many of those, many of the brothers are very discouraged. Mm-hmm. And what they need is a fresh breath of the spirit. And it's not just an emotional mm-hmm. experience; it's a life moving and living in a person. The person who raised Jesus from the dead is in us, Amen. and we can lose sight of that. And our eyes, as a result are on this level only in so many ways. Oh my gosh, how do we need to 
the bills paid. You know, I gotta, we got to talk to the lawyers again. we got to get this worked out and that worked out. And how are we going to downsize? We're going to make the cuts. And all these things that, yes, they're a part of it, but I just felt like you know, lift your eyes to the heavens mm. where your help comes from. Your help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, you know? And so, but people say, oh, anyway, so that's kind of a long way to answer your question, uh, Greg. And it's a beautiful say, way. The reality, the full reality of Pentecost is not something that many Catholics wake up to, even Catholics who get up to go to Mass. And mm-hmm. it's super important to do that, you right. know? I wouldn't diminish that for one bit. We need both these eternal, awesome Christ-established mysteries operating in our lives, but how many of them get up and say, I not only want to receive the body of the Lord today, I want everything Mm. he's given us Mm. in this grace of Pentecost. I am a child of Pentecost. And, um, and And it's not just, as you were saying, you know, people who need that kind of thing and they're looking for some emotional high or something like that. Totally misses it. It completely it's a breath misses in our lungs, right? Yes, and and the reason and here's John Paul II speaking to five hundred thousand people who uh, were celebrating Pentecost with him from the lay movements. These are all apostolic, imperfect, sinful people like you and me, but apostolic that is engaged, you know, moving, you know, sharing community life together, bringing their families into this, moving evangelistically into the Great Commission, which is what. New uh, Pentecost leads all of us into. And here's what he said to them. He said, today the church rejoices at the renewed confirmation of the prophet Joel's words from Acts chapter 2. That is where, where on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and quoted Joel the prophet and said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And people are asking, hey, what's happening to all you apostles, the 120 that poured out of the upper room? Mm. You, all, you all look drunk. Something's happening. What's going on? And they stood up with great confidence and they began to preach, and Peter said, this is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. Jesus is Lord. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's, a, he's extending his kingdom power now through his people by pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And then John Paul II, speaking as the vicar of Christ, prophetically and clearly, you present here are a tangible proof of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Each movement is different from the others, but they are all united in the same communion, which stirs us to mission and, you know, communion together in community. So uh, we need this. It's, it, it just is not an option. Can I give you one more quote? From Please do. Jump on that I heard a while back that, no, I just, I just kind of dug it up and I hadn't thought about it for a long time. It relates exactly to what we're talking about. The work of the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit, consists in making the risen Lord present and with him God the Father. about that? That's awesome. So the Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit's first mission is to reveal Jesus as Lord in our hearts. That's the first mission of the Holy Spirit. So we can believe it, confess it, and begin to serve him radically, understanding who he is, and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit turn us and reveal the Father to us and give us conviction that we're children of God. That's awesome. And he goes on to say, the Spirit carries out his saving action by making God's present immediate, mm. felt. Right? And so there's some... Imminent. There should be... God with us, Emmanuel. Healthy, yeah, exactly. And there should be, and there is in the Church, good wisdom of being discerning 
about spiritual experiences because there's lots of spiritual counterfeits in the world, Mm -hmm. right? But I think we've gone too far. There's a kind of paralysis or an over, a, um, an exaggerated fear that's not really confident discernment of mm-hmm. disciples of Christ who have the Father in their heart, and they're living securely in the Father and in the, in the grace and power of the Spirit. And so they just shut everything down. That, that, that looks different. So maybe that answers... That looks like this, so... Maybe that answers my question, but just listening to those awesome words and knowing the truth of them, even just the two words from Pope Paul about vitality and joy, come on, like you said, even, you know, you go to daily mass and would those words even begin to describe an atmosphere there? I think most people would say no, but why do you think, Peter, in particular from our church leaders, our priests, our bishops, that there's such resistance to this beautiful truth and need. Before yeah. answering that question, well, we fear be- one we second. Understand. You know, yeah. we, fear, we fear what we don't understand. Sorry. No, before answering that, I'm just, folks, just so you know, would know, at this event the past three days, there were at least 80 priests, a C, many religious, a bishop was with us, and the, the, the description of those godly men and women was one of great joy and great delight. Uh, that there are many priests, we know them, Peter knows them, I know them, many of you know them, under the hood, they are just yearning to live fully the purpose for which they were ordained. And and we experience that permission, that atmosphere, what happens when we give them permission in that particular setting. So just maybe to color in Steph's comment a little more than to you, Peter, is maybe why does it take a special getaway, Seagate Center, awesome music, encounter people around you to see such abundant flourishing of God's grace? Well, I'd say, number one, in principle, it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to be that. You know, I'd say anybody anybody who passionately wants to say, you know, before the Lord say, Lord, with all my heart, I want to penetrate the mystery of Pentecost. I want to live it. Mm. And you pray that every day, and you Mm. say, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll talk to who you want me to talk to. Lord, make this come alive in my heart and in my life. He will lead you, and he'll answer that. If that's your heart crying, that's what you want, he'll mm-hmm. get you there. It's going to happen. It's awesome. Uh, now, on the other hand, it's also it's also very important for for believers to come together. And when you do, there's an advi- there's a there's an environment there that of of, of faith, of communion, of community. There's good preaching. The word of God has power. We have you celebrate the sacraments, and so when that good teaching helps people understand what they're experiencing. Um, and helps them understand how to respond to what they're experiencing, how to walk in what they're experiencing, how to grow in what they're experiencing. That people can talk about it with each other. Mm-hmm. It's the community of it's the community of faith. It's brothers and sisters fellowshipping, sharing, learning, uh, helping each other keep going forward. That's the living body of Christ that's animated by the Holy Spirit. You know, again it's through awesome. the sacraments and through the grace of uh, the grace of Pentecost. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I love the practicality there, and and just for our listeners, all of you and and us who've been maybe uh, walking in the steps of this new Pentecost and experiencing its joy and its delight, and it's challenged, quite frankly. It's a it's a fire. There are many images, but the fire that refines us. You know, it is a power of God purifying His bride to be united with Him, and through that unity in His heart, that grace being poured forth. So as we speak of what happened those three days, don't want to mislead any of you either. I mean, there is a pain and, and a godly pain. A, 
a purifying pain. But uh, six years ago, Peter, you, I think, adequately, beautifully described this era of many Catholics in the phrase of a loveless marriage. I think that's so on point. Many who are listening now, faithful, solid, good Catholics, tithing, all of that, maybe experience a loveless marriage. Like any marriage, maybe they return home, they see their spouse, they're going to be faithful to them, but the spark is gone, that vitality is gone, the spirit is gone from it. And I would describe these three days, which again, you and I have experienced for decades, but we're seeing it culminate, especially at this time in history, when things in darkness have been coming to light, both politically and ecclesially. Things hidden in darkness, the enemy's plans, his machinations. You know, it's no longer subtle. It's no longer, the enemy's just like right out there, you know, in the Netflix, you know, series of, of the Jesus who's homosexual, Satan. And I mean, just there's, there's no hiding it. There's books now about Satanism, which, you know, invite people to learn how to conjure, you know, uh, spells from Satan to attack others. I mean, it's out there. This is the era that we're now living in. The battle is face to face. And so to the loveless marriage, those who may experience that, which probably, folks, is all of us till the day we die to some extent, I believe it's an Ezekiel 37 kind of moment for us. And what is Ezekiel 37? It's the Valley of Dry Bones. I'm just going to read this because this is really what we experienced also, a lens of seeing what happened. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. That's what really struck me, that kind of parallelism of, you know, a loveless marriage, the culture we're living in, things in darkness coming to light, and this moment when it's, you know, a light shines brightest in the darkness, and you appealing to us, Peter, and saying, pray for that new Pentecost. And I do think a key virtue, shall I say, is audacity, and I just maybe invite you to say a thing about that in your own life, Peter. You know, some know this, maybe, they've experienced it, they've seen it, uh, but for those who may be moms and dads in their homes, and they feel like maybe all is lost, you know, it does kind of take that audacity of Peter to step out of the boat under the water when he had has no basis of confidence that he can be sustained on that water. Can you speak into that a little bit about that, maybe that step in having the audacity to quote unquote, do it? You know, the hungry get fed and the thirsty get, you know, their, their thirst quenched. And I think Jesus made that really clear. And so we can be confident if we step out that we're going to get, we're going to receive what he desires to give to us. And I think sometimes people, there's a whole range of reasons why people want to avoid it audacious. That is, um, by the way, that was a phrase that, a word that um, a group of cardinals who had met with, uh, I think it was John Paul II, um, at a meeting talking about evangelization. They came out and they were challenging and trying to encourage the church to be audacious. Mm. That was the word they used, to be audacious in response, you know. So that's abandoned, reckless abandon, you know, just to go for it. And Jesus loves that, you know, because it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the faith is, as you're saying, a kind of Peter getting out of the boat sort of thing. Like when you're sitting comfortably in the boat in a place of security, there's no dynamism there spiritually. There's no dynamic. 
but when you step out, when you put your foot out over the edge of that boat, you're beginning to risk, mm. you know, because in your, what you're doing, you're stepping into and trusting the Lord's call and his command. You're letting go of your control mm. and in the sense of to say, um, I'm going to, I'm going to stop asking the questions. Do I have the gifts? And is this going to work for me? And can I trust this? I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to follow his commands and I'm going to obey him. And I'm going to do it with all my heart. I got one life to live. I'm going to be dead soon. I want to make my life an offering to God. And this is what Jesus is asking us to do. So I'm going to, I'm going after him. I go after all kinds of things in my life. I go after my favorite football team. You guys are from Ohio, aren't you? People, are, people like <laughs> football in Ohio, don't they? A little don't bit. Don't they like football in Ohio? They, yeah, they, they're think, all rooting for Clemson, there's Peter. There's nothing wrong with football. There's yeah. nothing wrong with football. But when I see, when I see you know, the, all these grown men in their 40s, 50s, and 60s dressed up at the dog pound with, yeah. with you know, dog masks on uh, from those days and Buckeye <laughs> fans painted with everything under the sun. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I, don't, I think it's wonderful. It's fine. But that's that's passion. Mm-hmm. I love my team. I want to be identified with my team. And it takes time. It takes energy. It takes money. It, they anticipate it. They can't mm-hmm. wait. There's other guys who share it with them. And they just they sort of live for that cycle of stuff they have. That's a passionate heart. So when people say, you know, what is the Lord calling me calling me to? He's calling you to have that kind of a heart, mm-hmm. to desire him and his kingdom. And you're willing to give time, talent, and treasure to make it happen. And if you do that, um, the kind of the kind of joy and fun you have at a ball game like that after all that work and all that, which goes away twenty four within twenty four hours, it's gone. You know mm-hmm. what, what what this is is a call to audaciously give your heart and begin to live in a new reality. You know, it's not. A, I don't mean it's a constant high, but mm-hmm. there's new power and a new capacity to live a new way of life, and it'll give you a sense of purpose, mission. Uh, joy, the joy that Jesus promises us. He promises us more life, more joy. And he promises us that what he got, the pushback he got, we're going to get too. Mm-hmm. You know? And so that's one of the things that we're seeing in the culture today. One of the things I made reference to, and I think these things are really important, both of them, that um, the eternal Pentecost is, or perennial Pentecost is something that the church will live in until the Lord comes again and then will live with God and God will be all in all is what scripture tells us. And that power and that capacity is meant to help us do two to simplify it as much as I can is to do two things is to fulfill the first commandment mm-hmm. love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You cannot do it without the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. And he wants to take you throughout your whole life, deeper and deeper and deeper into your relationship with God, the father, your relationship with the Trinity and that communion with them. And number two, he, the Holy Spirit wants to give you power to be a witness and to engage the, the great command, the great commission to go make disciples of all nations. Those are the two things. And I think wh- that's why you know, the Cardinals described it as the two great mysteries. I think Eucharist helps us, strengthens us for the mission, but it so deeply, intimately draws us into um, uh, the heart of God and the worship of God that's going on in heaven. Uh, that's all there. At the end of the Mass, the priest says, Ite missa est, go, go. Mm-hmm. And how do we go? We go in the power and the life of the Holy Spirit. And so we're given power now, the kind of power that comes from the heart of a, of a loving Savior, you know, not, not the kind of power we see exercised in the world, mm-hmm. a power that's exercised through service, servant hearts and compassion, but it's totally fearless. 
you know, and ready to step into yes. what God wants because, because um, the world, we're living at a time that I think the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the emergence of the charismatic renewal and the popes themselves have said it, it's an, part of an antidote for the times that we're living in. And the popes worked hard to read the signs of the times. Mm-hmm. And what are the signs of the times? Humanity, as Pope Benedict said, is pushing God from the human horizon. Mm-hmm. And when the light which comes from God begins to go dim, humanity loses its bearings. Mm-hmm. Those are his exact words. Mm-hmm. Humanity loses hold on reality. And that's what's happening. Right. We're losing a sense of what is a human? What is human sexuality? What mm-hmm. is marriage? Mm-hmm. You know, when does life begin? When does it end? These are, these are the most important things. And there is an all-out assault from, you know, the powers of this world. The kings of the earth are setting themselves like mm. the governor of New York, Catholic, calls himself right. Catholic, right. leads a charge to vote to be able to kill a baby up into its first breath, mm. you know, uh, coming from its mother's womb. It's, it's, and they're dancing. Yeah. And they're calling a victory. Now, there's a great deception there. And are any of those people my enemy, my personal enemy, or your person? No, they're not. Our enemies are demons, mm-hmm. Satan and those who serve him, right? And the demons that are serving him. And those people in that congressional house in New York, that legislative house, they actually think they're doing the right thing. They think they're doing the loving thing. But it's a deception, it's a deception that comes from having made a break from living under the authority and the obedience of God's word and in the authority of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And they've fallen to deception. Right. Lost their bearings. Right? Yes. Yeah. And they've lost their bearings. And now, and so we're calling a man, a woman, a woman, a man. We're trying to square the circle and celebrate it. And the governments of the earth are now like, that's what it means. So to the kings of the earth, they're starting to press in on the church. And they're trying to say, we determine what is good. Mm-hmm. We determine what is of true value. These are our values, and you must celebrate them. You must stop speaking against them. And in your schools and in your district, Canada, for example, you know, they've had 100-some years of or whatever the length of their history is of the Catholic school system being united to the government. Right. And, and it, worked, it worked well for a long time. But now the government has become radically secularized, and the government there sees things like um, the push for transgenderism, uh, homosexual marriage activity, all these kinds of things, and they're forcing it on the Catholic schools. And they're saying, you have to make room for this stuff. You have to teach it. You have to accept it. And in no way, shape, or form can you ever speak against it. Mm -hmm. And so... We can't let go. There, there's, there's the battle in the church, uh, you guys, is that there are leaders in the church at different levels who want to accommodate to the world. Mm-hmm. Right. They want to say, look, we need to learn from the world on these things, and we need to be able to, to have a closer relationship with the world, with you know, the UN and everybody, and the, the way they're thinking about this, be part of the world community, you know, that sort of thing. You say, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. These are things we simply cannot compromise on. The two great institutions, you know, that Jesus himself established, first in creation, is family and the church. Mm-hmm. And as the family goes, so goes the faith. 
And what's going on in the deconstruction of family and the war on the family and the, and the war on Christian or human anthropology, what's a man, what's a woman, that kind of thing, what's human nature, all those things are ultimately, whether people know it or not, because they don't wake up in the morning and say, gee, what, is, what can I learn from the devil today? Mm. They're, right. they're, being, they're absorbing <laughs> yeah. the right. culture, they're absorbing the culture, and the culture's defining it as good. Mm-hmm. And they're going along with the flow, and they're believing the deception, and now they're starting to turn and say, ooh, who stands in the way of this? The church. The church is the enemy. This is they they don't love. They're bigots. They're haters. And then, of course, when you're in the church, then if you don't have maturity as a disciple, you don't see the nature of the spiritual battle. You're affected because you're very much attached to the world, and you start to think, oh, one of the reasons people are leaving the church is we have a we have given them a convenient out because of the scandal. Mm-hmm. But no real disciple of Jesus would ever leave the church. Mm-hmm. Who's surprised that the that you know the church has sin in it? It's wrong. It's terrible. It's shameful. We need to repent and get in right relationship with the Lord and reconcile with people and heal the body. That's all true. But I mean, no real disciple is going to walk away from the church that Jesus established, mm-hmm. right? Right. You're going to stay in, you're going to love it and, and seek its healing and the rest of it. But it's a convenient way for people to say, ah, no, I, who wants to be a part of that sinful, you know, that that body of people? But instead of just facing themselves, but part of what people are doing, some people are doing anyway, is to, say, is to avoid the stigma of the culture. Because mm-hmm. the stigma and the pressure now that's coming in is like, uh, so lots of Catholics, a lot of baptized people are saying, hmm, do I, uh, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this, you know? I didn't sign up for people thinking that I'm that I'm a bigot or a hater yeah. or a mean-spirited person, and uh, I don't like this feeling, it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable, so you good. know? And I don't want people to know what I believe and all that, and so but what, what people need to understand is this is a moment of purification. The discipline of the Lord is on his body, because it's on the church. What do I mean by discipline? I don't mean he's here punishing, you know? He's angry. God's not angry. He never gets angry in the sense that he's not stomping around frustrated with everybody. But he's coming to purify mm. the impurities out of the church and the worldliness, the accommodation, the deception, the lusts, all the stuff that's present there, the spiritual strongholds. He has to bring the love, the discipline of a loving father, Hebrews chapter 12 says. And when that discipline comes, it's difficult. But it leads to a peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's what Jesus is trying. Is not, that's what Jesus is aiming at for us. And so we need to welcome the discipline. That discipline, uh, it, we're disciples, right? So he's he committed. He's committed to teaching us, informing us, and keeping us aligned with his his whole worldview and his leadership. And he wants to bring back those who are leading in the wrong direction or are moving in the wrong direction. Because he wants us to live in righteousness, in right relationship with God the Father. And the accommodation to the world is an escape. It's like an escape hatch from the trouble that the church is stepping into. You know, I want to get away from it. I, want to, I, I, I don't want to have to face pushback. And then Jesus said, hey, wait a minute, you guys. Wait a minute. I, I mean, I said right from the beginning, if you want to follow me, count the cost. Mm, right. I told you. That the world, if the world's going to hate you and come against you, would you please remember, Jesus says to us, what I told you? And that is, it's because it hates me. Right. It hates my dominion. 
my rule, my rightful rule over all of creation. They don't want it. They want to rule. They want to be God or they want to be in charge. And I won't compromise on the truth because that's what love looks like, mm-hmm. you know? And Peter. so, you know, so many people said, look, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. I, you know, I want to be liked by people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I want to get along with everybody. Love is warm, fuzzy feelings, anybody. right? Christ is all about just yeah. feeling good. Yep. Oh, I want to be comfortable. Yep. I want to be secure. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want anything bad to happen to me. And Jesus said, okay, those are idols. Mm. Those are things you put before him, which usually is an expression of um, inordinate self-love, mm. you know, right. fears and all kinds of things that are natural. Jesus says, look, these obstacles are in you. I will help you with it, but you have to trust me. He said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I got I to gotta take control here because this doesn't look promising. You know, right, right. it doesn't look like something I like. So I got to take control. You know, and Jesus is saying, no, you gave up control. You gave it up. You belong to me. And I'm committed to leading you. So I, my concern is that so many people are blinded. We have to preach and communicate this much more clearly because people are missing mm. the very heart of the opportunity that's here. Yes. St. Peter said, and echoing the Beatitudes and the rest, St. Peter said, look, Brothers and sisters, now he's talking to a community of people in Asia Minor. Some were getting martyred. Mm-hmm. They're getting martyred. They're marginalized. They're persecuted. They're losing jobs, whatever. And Peter said, first of all, he honored them. And he said, I, you're going through various trials, very difficult trials. Yet, without having seen the Lord, you love him, and you're filled with unutterable and exalted joy. Mm-hmm. So he was recognizing what Christ was doing in them in the midst of persecution and trial. And then he said this, don't ever be surprised by the fiery ordeal that will come upon you. You know, when the world at different times in history turns its guns, its rage, looks happening in China. Right. In China today, if you're a parent, you cannot bring your child into a church until they're over 18 years of age. Mm. I didn't know that. It's the law. Wow. You know? And so there's the kings of the earth setting themselves against the Lord and the right. rule of the Lord. And, and what people need to do is to say, no, you are a political system. You are not God. These children belong to me and they belong to their God. They don't belong to you. you know? and so, but to do that, whoa, the cost is incredibly mm. high in China. And so that's how, the, that's how the kingdom of this world, whether people know it or not, um, and their desire to rule and to have control and, and control things by their own fear. Um, that's how the enemy gets its grip on the church and tries to squelch the life of the church. And so what we need are, let me just read this paragraph. I've been talking a long time. Sorry. It's oh, all so good. good. Real good. Let me read this, let me read this, this paragraph of the catechism, um, the section in like 668 to 675. And there it talks about, you know, the return of the Lord and, um, things like that. And it tells us what time are we living in? We're living in the, the time, the final, the last hour of human history between the two comings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. First time as a lamb and mercy. Second time as the judge of the, uh, you know, the heavens, judge of the earth and all who are in it. But listen to this. According to the Lord, this paragraph 672, the present time is the time of the spirit mm-hmm. and of witness. Mm-hmm. So this is something that, that every Catholic ought to understand 
unequivocally and be really thankful and mm-hmm. grateful for. Mm-hmm. This is a time of what? The Spirit. That is Pentecost. That is live, the Spirit living in me now and giving me encouragement, joy, but in the mission to be a witness. And the word for witness is martyr, right? right? The, same, the same word. And Peter said then, to finish that thought, Peter said to them, look, the Spirit of God is in you. He's, I see the fruits of it. I see the joy even in trial. And he said, remember, if someone reviles you, persecutes you, treats you unjustly, rejoice, because the glory mm. of God has come upon you. Yes. The Amen. glory of God. And I, my concern is too many people are either walking away from the glory of God without knowing it, mm. or those who are trying to accommodate with the culture and leaders, this this gives me a sense of holy anger when this happens. When leaders try to accommodate, let's change all these fundamental mm. teachings, you know, mm. so that basically we can get along with everybody and, and receive the world's definition of love. And what it does is it, it doesn't call people to heroism. It doesn't call them to be witnesses and martyrs. It doesn't call them to it. You steal the glory of God mm-hmm. from them. Mm. And that's not right. Yep. You know, that's not what leaders shouldn't do that. Right. And, a human uh, inclusion anyway. that involves a heavenly exclusion. And you're right. And I think this yeah. is a whole area where we need to be uh, forged with right teaching and character, the likes of which you're giving witness to tonight. Mm-hmm. And the premise of all this is simply the word became flesh, that faith is played out in a human political landscape, that it's not a hideout place where we gather around those like us who agree with us and uh, fortify, if you will, our, our, uh, our comfort and ease in the faith. You know, the test of it is when we're going out there and loving with the heart of Christ. I, you know, I think I say this to my, our family and the teams that we've been involved in ministry, and it is the greatest challenge, in my opinion, and that is but the, if, what Christ really did is he is willing to suffer for the very ones causing it. Are we willing to do that, to suffer for the very ones causing it? Peter, I want you to speak maybe for a moment into how are we to be wired as um, instruments, disciples of God, of a heavenly realm in this world, particularly as it pertains to politics. Because I think we can, it's a a struggle, right? It's a balancing act. We gotta be engaged, we gotta be informed because that's the arena that we operate in. And yet how often, for instance, in this, do we get reduced to uh, unknowingly having an idolatry for political principalities and powers and maybe even yeah. unduly elevate political people in the way that we'd elevate a football team and allegiance sort of thing. Uh, while at the same yeah. time, noting that there are serious moral implications, there's moral culpability before God in a democracy and a Republic that are, we will have accountability before God in whom we vote for. How do you understand all that you've been saying in light of this moment in time of deconstructionism taking hold and that battle playing out in the political landscape, maybe particularly in America? Yeah. I mean, of course, politics are uh, sort of a natural and good and healthy thing for society. You know, they're for the helping and the ordering of society, not the controlling and the dominating of society. Um, but politics is only is our politics will be only as good as, you know, our politicians are, so to speak, mm. you know, and they represent when we want to get a look at the state of our own, our own national life, in some ways, look at our politicians. You know, they they got elected by us, you know, and they represent the confusion in some cases, the confusion, the deception, and in other cases, um, you know, the opposite of that. And so it's a mixed bag and it represents 
what we're seeing is the radical cultural and civilizational change that's happening in the broader national, international culture, especially in the West, is getting expressed in the politics. And so you always have to be careful that politics, politics can't save us. It has a limited, it has a limited function and has a limited capability. I remember Bill Bennett wrote a book years ago about, it basically talked about spiritual sloth in the culture, mm-hmm. like a lack of spiritual hunger and asedia, that mm-hmm. I think I pronounced it right, that Greek term. Yep. And he, and he said in the book, he goes, look, folks, it's a soul problem that we're, we're developing in the culture. It's a spiritual problem. And guess what? Politics can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. No? It has no power over it. So don't ask politicians or expect politics to do something for the society that it can't do. You know? and, and so there's, there's a limit to what it can do. Now, some of the battles that we're facing, um, that parties – Parties are changing the perspectives they're on. I just want to. I'm just thinking, for example, the the um, the battle over same-sex marriage that went on in the country and is still, I guess, mm-hmm. going on in different ways, even though it's settled uh, in law. Is um, what we saw in that fight were the culture, and then politicians following the culture start to express two significant lies. Number one, you know, the first one is if you disagree with someone's lifestyle choice. You must be, you must fear them or hate them, Right. Mm. you know? And so that's how it got shaped. And then politicians started talking that way, you know, Mm -hmm. in public. And so then it put pressure on people. The second one is, is that to love someone means you have to agree with everything they believe or do. Mm -hmm. Both of those things are nonsense. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate with people, for people, you know? But in order to get the change people wanted, they took this strategy and politicians, many of them, to get reelected because they could smell the drift in the culture, started parroting these kinds of mm-hmm. things. And so then if you're too dedicated to your political party or whatever, your political ideology, and that's the main place you're getting uh, your passion is directed and you're not living passionately with the Lord, you're not praying daily you're not trying to seek holiness and to do God's will first above everything else, you'll find yourself, just like many of the Catholics at the, in the legislature there in New York, standing up and dancing and cheering mm-hmm. at the, the freedom to kill babies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And, and so you, you have to be careful that politics doesn't become an idol, something you put before the authority of God and God himself, and I think that it can get out of line. And so, and the hostility, you still have to be a Christian in the midst of the politics, you know? And you have to act like a Christian. Jesus, the way, act the way Jesus, virtuously, the way Jesus called us to live virtue and to have the, have the fruits of the Holy Spirit manifested in us. And right now the gloves are coming off between the two parties and the, and the, the culture and the, and, the, and the speech and the engagement is getting more and more coarse and more and more irrational and more and more filled with fear. Yeah, and, and anger, and the anger and the rage is coming out, and that's not going to end well. Mm-mm. If it keeps up, it won't end well. But that's part of you guys. There's there's a discipline on the church, a redemptive discipline that, that I just talked about a few minutes ago. I like ago. that phrase. But there's also a judgment on the world, a judgment, a, a judgment of God on the culture, and what does that mean? Again, is God stomping around in heaven? You know, just wanting to see bad things happen to people. No. What he's done is he's given the culture over to itself. Mm-hmm. It says in Romans chapter one, 
when human beings, and Pope Benedict said this so beautifully, Romans chapter 1, where it says, uh, the wrath of God is coming against those who refuse to acknowledge God and give God thanks, because they're suppressing the truth about God's rea- the reality of God and what human beings owe God and what God has done in the, what the Father's done in His beloved Son, through, for whom and through whom everything was mm-hmm. made. So to resist God um, is, a, is a form of idolatry and great rebellion. Mm-hmm. People don't see it. And because they refuse to acknowledge God, God tries to call them back. And if they don't come, He calls them with mercy, mercy, mercy. And if they don't come, because they're going to get the further and further away they get from him, the dumber, uh, the more foolish, the more distru- self-destructive they're going to become. Bad things will come of it to pretend that there is no God and that you're the masters of the universe. It's insanity, and it will lead to great trouble in the human heart, which is what we're seeing in mm-hmm. our culture. Right. But God gives us over because we refuse to listen. And judgment is giving humanity what it wants essentially. Yep. And, uh, and it's severe mercy in a certain level, I suppose you could describe it as, you know? And that's what's happening in the broader culture. And if the church is sick, and it's not living, living um, a real witness of the love of Christ, and How will they know? about a culture of the Eucharist and all that, if we're not a counterculture, witnessing to the truth of human nature, family life, service, love, all that stuff that's there, care for the poor, um, and we look like the world, the world has no hope. Right. The world has no place to turn because the light, they don't see the light. And this is why the Lord has to discipline the church, to purify the church, so that her light shines. Beautiful, beautiful. So that the world, because God is after not the condemning of the world in a culture, mm. but of saving those in it, that's his passion. Absolutely beautiful. That's what he's after. Fo- and one last thing, you know, Peter Kreeft, Peter Kreeft had said, said many times, you know, civilizations, as wonderful as they are, or as big as they are, they're pieces of historical trivia. Mm. They're going to pass away. Right. That's powerful. But what will never pass away is eternal souls. Mm. And what the real fight on the earth is, is not Republican, Democrat. The real fight, those are distractions. The real fight is the fight over the destiny of human beings, mm. the eternal destiny, and the battles between two kingdoms. And when you just ignore that reality, you deny God, you start living in the dark, then, then your politics become ultimate, and that's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. It loses its mm-hmm. place, its right order and balance. You know, so. Folks, so blessed to have you with us tonight and our wonderful guest, brother in Christ, mentor Peter Herbeck. You're tuned into Ignite Radio Live with Greg and Stephanie Schleter. And we're talking really about what is the spiritual significance of this moment in history. Are we willing to look at the things playing out in us and around us through God's eyes? Are we willing to respond to his summoning us back more deeply into his heart no matter where we are? We've, if we're distant and far and maybe have not experienced the sweet joy of, uh, of intimacy in him or we feel like we've maybe had many opportunities to do so, there's a horizon of depth that God is calling us into. And one practical thing, of course, Stephanie and I are so passionate about this, as you hear us talking about the circumstances and the great world around us and God's play in there because he is a God of love. He's engaged God. There's nothing around us that surpasses what God wants to do in us and through us. And for that, he's given us the family. As John Paul II says, the future of humanity passes 
by way of the family. So as we conclude tonight, we just really want to encourage all of you to join us on this journey of more fully discovering our identity, fabric of the Trinity, love, the gift of our deepest yearning in our marriages and family to see them conquered, transformed, and renewed. And it is a challenge. We're not going to, you know, if you've been attuned to the Family Road Trip podcast, you hear the couples giving testimony. It is a challenge, but every single one who embarks upon this challenge, who opens the door to renewed grace in their marriage and family, discovers their nature as icons of the Trinity. So find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. And uh, we do hope this next year in this Toledo area and beyond that we're going to see a greater flourishing with the kind of grace being outpoured in this new Pentecost in partnership with Peter and Renewal Ministries and uh, certainly Encounter, Father Matthias and Patrick Rice, Damascus down south. What a phenomenal location we have uh, of the opportunity to be united with these wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ to see the kingdom come alive here and now. So blessed that you're all with us along the ride in this Christmas season. May the Lord abundantly bless you all. Dead could not hold.